Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. And we're going to look at a piece of Torah today um, that we're going to go surprising places with. So every now and then I do this to you. Um, this is one of those times. And I'm doing this because we had this lovely, lovely Shior, this lovely lesson with uh, Dani Siegel through the Hartman Institute, who is just one of the most beautiful teachers I've ever had the pleasure to learn with. He has the soul of a five-year-old and the knowledge of like a 99-year-old, and um, and he has this gentle, wonderful um, way of teaching, but and he's very funny um, and very warm. So if you get a chance on those Hartman lectures, if you get a chance to study with Dani Siegel, D-A-N-I, Dani Siegel, beautiful teacher, really beautiful teacher, um, and, and has been in Orthodox education since he was three. Um, and so the, the vast amount of, of knowledge that he has is ridiculous. Um, he left Orthodoxy and, um, and now teaches in the, the Israeli rabbinate program, the Rabbanut, the program to make Israeli um, non-Orthodox people rabbis. Um, so anyway, so this, this shiur is his. I'm teaching from his shiur, and I'll use his text uh, sources. So we're just going to, we're going to stray. <laughs> See what I did there, Emelinda? We're going to stray a little bit um, from the, the text. So just, just know that we're on a ride this morning, and you'll just have to go with me. All right, or not. All right, so we're going to look at, let's look at the Torah text. We're, we're at Deuteronomy 22. Let's <laughs> So if you see, it's stated in the negative in the Torah, you shall not see the ox of your brother or the sheep gone astray and disappear yourself from them. You shall surely return it to your brother. So what are you, you're not allowed to see the ox or the sheep of your brother and ignore it, not do anything about it. So we're going to look at this word, lehit alem. So this, this word in Hebrew, this verb, lehit alamta, right, that you disappear yourself. So alem, this shoresh, ayin lamed mem, alem is, is about ignoring responsibility. Those of you who know any Hebrew know when we hear heat, any word that starts with heat, heat alamta, any verb that starts heat is a reflexive verb. So it's something one does to oneself. So you are not allowed to disappear from, alem is to disappear. So you're not allowed to cause yourself to reject the responsibility of returning your uh, brother's stuff. So hashev tishivim. So this word shuv, remember the shin and the vet from shuv is turn. And in this case, return. We use this language a lot during the high holidays. We use this language hashivenu vinashuva. Cause us to return and we will be returned. 
um, return again, return to the land of your soul. All of those kinds of things are about returning. Our tradition believes in the, this is what's at the heart of the word teshuva, of repentance, is shuv. Teshuva is about turning, meaning returning to the part of us that is in alignment with godliness. The teaching is that, that that's really our natural state and we veer from that state for lots of different reasons. So this is a really, this is going to be an important word for us this morning. Shuv. This is about return. So if your brother does not live near you, or you do not know who he is, meaning who this, this ox belongs to, you shall bring it home, and it shall remain with you until your... Um, your brother claims it, and then you will give it back to your brother. So if you don't know exactly, and so look at the language of Torah, achicha. We get this very same commandment in Exodus, um, but there it's not achicha. So the Deuteronomist, as we've been talking about, is writing for what the Deuteronomist hopes to be a united community of Israel. And of course it's not achicha. Of course it's not your brother. If it was your brother's, you'd know whose it was. You'd recognize it. Achicha means you should act as if this animal belonged to your brother. What would you do if it belonged to someone in your family? That's how you're supposed to act around anything that belongs to another Israelite. It's as if it were your family's own property. What would you want done if it were your, your sister's, you know, pearl necklace that was found? What would you, what would you expect some... What would you want someone to do? That's how you're supposed to treat anything like this that's lost. Because this is this is very important property. This is like someone losing a Volkswagen. So you you wanna you wanna treat this like with with seriousness. And you will do the same with his ass. See, Emelinda, I was not making it up. So if your brother loses his ass, then you will do the same as we just talked about. Same with his garment. Right. And remember that the garment that we're talking about here is usually a cloak. This was a cloak that was used for protection from the weather. It was also used to sleep in if one needed to sleep outdoors. So think of all your Robin Hood movies, like all those films where they you know, have that cowl um, hood and, and uh, something that they would wrap up in at night by the campfire. And so will you do. And here we go. I want you to pay attention to this word. And so will you do. So with the, with the simla, with the cloak, so will you do with everything that is lost to your brother. Aveda, that which is lost. That tav at the end, avedat makes it possessive. So it, the thing that's lost that belongs to your brother. Asher tovad, that he lost, right? And you found it. You cannot disappear yourself from the responsibility for addressing the issue of your brother having lost something, anything. You shall not see the ass or the ox of your brother fallen on the road. You, you can't disappear yourself from the responsibility to um, raise it up with him. 
So this is when we're on the freeway and before cell phones, um, somebody's car stopped on the side of the road and they have a flat tire. You know, it was expected that you wouldn't just drive on. Deuteronomy is saying you must stop and help. It is an obligation. You are not allowed to reject the responsibility of stopping um, and helping this person put a tire on their car or get the battery running again. What It was assumed you could help. In other words, right, right. Like these days, we assume somebody's called AAA, um, and I don't know how to help anyway. <laughs> but um, we used to—I used to stop and say, "Can I call somebody for you?" Right? Or I'll—I'll I'll drive to the next gas station and send somebody. You know, now we have cell phones. But um, but the idea was you could help because if an ox falls over, presumably you're just going to pick it up. So um, you have to stop and you have to help lift the the. Um, the animal. All right. So we've got a couple of concepts here. Um, there's a beautiful teaching Donnie gave us on this business of um, shore. You shall not um, ignore, right? The shore, the fallen over ox of your, where am I? Of your brother. Um, and he says, don't read it shore. The rabbinic tradition um, plays, as you know, um, I know some of you like Diana and Renee are joining us. So some of you are a little new to Torah study, but the rabbis love to play with the words of Torah. They really love it. This is their game. Um, this is what they're good at. Um, so, you know, rather than a hockey puck for the Torah. And so they, they say, don't read shore. Don't read um, ox. Instead, read the word as sure, which means in Hebrew, eyesight. And so I'm going to go to uh, the story by, brought to us by Rebbe Nachman of Bratislav. And some of you may know that Rebbe Nachman of Bratislav was a Hasidic Rebbe and taught um, using stories. And so Rebbe Nachman uh, taught parables, and they're not, they're not even original. Um, some of the ideas originate in Torah. Some of them we see through Talmud, the lens of Talmud. And then sometimes... Um, even from other places. And we're going to get to where some of this is from um, that is another place. So the, the story is called The Treasure. Um, and this is a parable that was told by Rabbi Nachman. A man once dreamed that there was a great treasure under a bridge in Vienna. He traveled to Vienna and stood near the bridge trying to figure out what to do. He did not dare search for the treasure by day because of the many people who were there. An officer passed by and asked, what are you doing standing here and contemplating? The man decided that, it, decided that it would be best to tell the whole story and ask for help, hoping that the officer would share the treasure with him. So he told the officer the whole story. The officer replied, a Jew is concerned only with dreams. I also had a dream and I also saw a treasure. It was a small house under the cellar. In relating his dream, the officer accurately described the man's city and house. The man rushed home, dug under his cellar, and found the treasure. He said, now I know that I had the treasure all along, but in order to find it, I had to travel to Vienna. So this parable, right, anybody want to unpack and unmute yourself if you want to share, but anybody want to unpack we're familiar with these kinds of stories. What, what, is, what is this parable coming to tell us? What's the lesson? That one could travel all over the world, but 
Home is where the heart is. That's where our treasure is. So why did he travel out? Isn't it like the Wizard of Oz that you have to go away to appreciate your home? Ah, so right. So home might be where the heart is, but he doesn't know that at the beginning, right? He doesn't know oh. that his right. that the treasure is under his own floor, right? You right. have you have to go away, and you have to you know you have to leave home in order to um, in order to see or to recognize that home is where the heart is. Okay, that's one. Somebody else want to suggest something yeah. about this? To follow, uh, um, it's, it's about following other people's dreams um, to make them happen, not just your dreams, but he was following the dream of the man, and then he was rewarded, but it's something about... So he listened, he listened to the dream of the other guy, and in listening to the dream of the other guy, you know, then realizes that the treasure's under his own floor. Yeah. Okay, Jody. Uh, I think that it's we all go, or many people go seeking for an answer outside, but the the answer is within us. It's in our home. It's within us. It's God is everywhere. We don't have to go build something. Um, I think it's really about that. It's within us. So that we we tend to go seeking elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And listen to other people and. So we, we want to go look out there because it has to be out there. It can't possibly right. be here, right? Right. That our tendency is to go look, and then somebody has to say something that tells us to go back home, yeah. right? It was because it was there all along. Okay. So finding and in seeking out there, we find that it's actually here. Mehmet? I think the same applies to our families and loved ones as well. When we grow up and when we approach like 18 and 20 when we just want to go away and and, you know explore the world make new friendships you know seek uh chosen families and all that which are all great but when we're approaching 40s and so on uh we start to appreciate our loved ones and our families and uh, we go back so somebody might travel from Turkey to Los Angeles, let's say, and have an adventure and meet lots of great people and enjoy studying with the most brilliant and talented rabbi ever in the universe, and then still want to go back home to Turkey, let's say, right? That could happen. Well, we uh, exactly. But what I'm feeling right now is I really want to be with you all <laughs> at, at KI, physically. <laughs> I like the, the part room. with the most brilliant rabbi in the world. Then that we'd like that too. Yeah. So that so that we so that we start to we, we have to have sometimes a distance and Mehmet I, and I think you know, if I can elaborate on what you're saying a little bit is is sometimes that distance is time, right? There, that there's a physical distance, but there's also a distance about time that enables us to see and appreciate what's at home, right? Those family members because we're getting older, so we know that our time is limited, but we also know their time is limited. In a different way, time starts rushing past us in a much different way. Um, And so sometimes that distance is not just physical distance and another perspective because of a physical change in place, but but a a change in time. 
and in our age. Michael, are you waving to try to say something? Yeah, yes. Um, as you told the story, maybe I got it all wrong, but as you told the story, I sensed that there would be a trap that the officer um, would, in fact, cheat the, the poor man of his treasure. And I was surprised to, um, to discover at the end of the story, as, as you narrated, that, uh, in fact, the officer was helping the um, unexpectedly helping the uh, the man to find his treasure. It's, it's an interesting story that could kind of backfire or frontfire, I don't know. <laughs> so the good news is that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, the good news is it all turned out, to, you know, in, in a benevolent world, but in a malevolent world, uh, people are continually cheating you of, um, you know, of worldly goods and other things. Well, and certainly Nachman, you know, when he would have lived, was not ignorant of how badly Jews were treated and how badly Jews would have been. I'm wondering if one came to this story via another story, whether right. it wouldn't right. be a lot For sure. more somber. For sure he harder. would have come to this through another story. Yeah. And so... Um, so this, this idea that sometimes, you know, we, we go looking out there when there's something right under our house, but that we would not have known it was under the floor of our house had we not left, encountered someone else, and like Audrey said, listened to them. He listens to the details. He listens to the officer describe the details of the, of the house the officer saw in his dream. That's how he knows it's his house, right? So you have to, you have to be ready to encounter you know, who's out there and listen. And, and I, what I want to go back to is that is what helps us find what's already here. Okay. Um, so who, Emmalinda. I, I wanted to say, I think that it's interesting that the, the soldier at the bridge in the story is kind of a jerk. <laughs> he is the teacher who gives this traveler his life's treasure, but he's a jerk and the traveler still listens to him and learns a really valuable thing from this dude who's like, you're being dumb. Um, and, and that maybe listening to people who are being jerks to us and seeing what we can learn from that, that will have value for us is where we can find buried treasure and still know you're being a jerk, but I got gold now. From your mouth to God's ears, Emmalinda, that we should be able to listen to jerks and, and take something that's useful, you know, for us away from that encounter. I had one other thought about the, the Deuteronomy passage and the importance of it taking time, the journey of, of distance, but also sometimes it just takes time. Is that why Deuteronomy says, hey, if you find the cow and you don't know whose it is, it's okay for you to take it back to your house for as long as you need to. That's not a crime as long as you give it back. Sometimes these things take time. Is that a, well, just an observation? I think it's more about you, you have an obligation to protect it, to pro even if you don't know who it belongs to. In Canaanite households, there would have been, a, um, there would have been an enclosure on the main level that where you would take these, you know, an where the animals would be protected and safe and fed and all of that. And um, your obligation is to take that animal home to your shelter until such time as you can figure out, until you can put up posters that say, you know, brown cow lost, you know, brown cow found, you know, whatever. So, and then, and then when someone identifies it, then you, you give it back. Meaning, I think what Tara is trying to say is just because you can't find it right now, you don't know who it belongs to right now. It doesn't have a little thing around its neck saying, you know, I belong to, if I'm lost, please call. 
if it doesn't have a tag, it, it doesn't matter. You don't get to just kind of say, sorry, I couldn't deal with that. You have to take right. God says finders, keepers, not. Correct. You have to take it home and look after it until such time as you can figure out who it belongs to. Um, and, and, this, and, the, and the rabbis are very serious about this, by the way. The rabbis are very serious about this. We got taught about this in, in um, Hebrew Academy. In Jewish day school, we were taught if you found a pen, you weren't allowed to keep it. You had to pick it up. You had to go to the nearest classroom and show it to the teacher and say, I found this outside of your classroom. Um, if you found, you know, a sweater, you had to go to everybody close to you and ask, did you drop a sweater? Did you drop a sweater? Did you drop a sweater? So um, you're not allowed to keep stuff just because you find it. You have to do your absolute best to figure out who it belongs to. Um, and so the lost and found was very serious. You took it to lost and found, um, be, right? Because, and so we joke a lot about you know, lost and found, but, um, but you have to take it there because that's the only way somebody who's lost something knows how to go find it is to go to the lost and found. And if you don't, so if you don't turn it in, right? Like, isn't that aggravating when you forget something, you know, in the, it used to be when we went to the theater or whatever, and you go and you go, you know, ask about it and no one's turned it in. It's like, why wouldn't you, it's obviously not yours. Why wouldn't you go give it to the, the guy, the, the guy who, you know, puts it in the lost. So, right. We get frustrated because we know this. We, we know what Deuteronomy is talking about. And we know it's a fundamental principle of building a society is that I can trust that if I lose something, you're not going to steal it. You're going to give me every possibility of recovering it, right? By doing what's responsible and not keeping it because it's not yours. Okay. So let's look at this other really lovely text. Am I still sharing my screen with you? No. Okay, then. I will. <laughs> okay. Yes, we're good? Yes. All right, so now let's look at this beautiful text. So this whole idea of returning what's lost. All right. So is it lost? I mean, that's kind of what Rabbi Nachman's piece is about. Is it really lost? Or have you just not discovered it yet? So that's one level. Let's look at this beautiful text from, again, Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, um, from Likute Moharan. Michael Grumer translated it. And it's beautiful in the Hebrew. If you know Hebrew, read it in the Hebrew. It's beautiful. No... Da, no. That you have to go to the tzaddik. To return what one has lost. For before a person enters the world, that person is taught and shown everything they need to do and accomplish in this world. And the minute the person enters the world, it is forgotten. As our sages say, and our sages of blessed memory called he who forgot one who is lost. Because forgetting is a shade of losing. As our sages say, quick to learn and quick to lose. He needs to go back and reclaim his aveda, what he lost. And his aveda, what he lost, is with the tzaddik. For the tzaddik searches after his own Aveda, until he finds it. And after finding it, he goes back to reclaim the Avedot, the lost things of others, until he finds theirs too. 
until he finds all the avedot of the world. Therefore, you must travel to the wise person to ask and reclaim your avedah and to return and receive it from that person. I hate the gendered language. I get it. It's how it was written. I get that. I try to avoid it in the English when I can. Therefore, you have to come to the wise one, levakesh, to request, ulahakir, and to reclaim avedato, what one has lost. Vilashuv lekabalat etzlo, and to return. Here we have this shuv again, to return lekabalat etzlo, to, to get it from that uh, tzaddik. Okay. So first of all, are any of you familiar with this idea from Jewish tradition or anywhere else of knowing things in the womb that one forgets once one is born? Do we know this? All right. Carol, where do you know it from? Hold on. You just have heard it. And Melinda, where do you know it from? Uh, like karma and past life regression stuff I've heard. Okay. I think. Um, Rita? I going to say, I remember hearing a legend that you're taught everything before you're born, and then God or some angel goes like this, and this is why we all have a little cleft here under our nose. That was what I heard. All right, but Rita, I'm gonna, I, I, bet, I bet I have a correction, that it's not you were taught everything. Where are you taught? Because you and I heard we grew up at the same story. <laughs> well, what are you taught in the, in the womb? You're taught the whole Torah. Oh, okay, yes. Off the whole Torah, <laughs> back. and the angel touches you here when you're born, you know, right before you're born, and you forget the whole Torah. So we spend our lives, right, needing to learn Torah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, it's a, it's a friendly amendment, but, but we grew up in a Jewish, right, storytelling environment. That was, it was, that was the, the midrash, and it's from the Talmud. Uh, Lynn, you have a version. It's the same version, and when I heard it, I learned it when I was a docent at HUC, Skirball Museum, when it was downtown, and we had the panel by the wonderful artist Ruth Weisberg, and she had done, for those of you who had the good fortune to see it, it wrapped around the entire room, and it was the art inspired by various stories from the Torah, and one of them was this story and a lithograph had been created uh, of that one with the image of the angel pushing the cleft. I mean, I get emotional whenever I think about it of the baby. And that is, I purchased that and that is framed in our bedroom. And I call that our third child. That's beautiful. That's yeah. really beautiful. Um, so Mehmet, you have your hand up and then Michael. Um, Amy, do you remember my Beitin? I do. I when, remember vividly your conversion. It was a beautiful, yes. beautiful Beitin. Uh, and if you remember our conversation during my Beitin, and uh, when I think about it now, I think the three of you, Rabbi Nick Renner, uh, uh, Rabbi Daniel, and you, you were my tzaddik. I reclaimed my soul from you after generations of losing it. Beautiful, Mehmet. That is... Very touching. It was very touching. Elena? Michael, you need to unmute. Michael is our mythology expert. So doubt, 
for sure he's going to have 17 versions of this from 18 different cultures. Are you, are you, are you, can, can you hear me? Yes, we can now. Oh, wait. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Plato uh, and the Platonists uh, believed that the the time was cyclical and life was cyclical. So inevitably, uh, the coming back into the womb, you brought with you the learning and the, the knowledge that you lost previously in a previous life. It's a crazy idea, but it's uh, very, very... Interesting. There it is. So when we were learning this with Donnie, um, he starts. T- he tells us the story, right? He starts reading this poem, and he, he, then he looks to us like he knows rabbis are going to want to talk immediately about what we just read. And, and we all did this, right? And we all started laughing that we all did this because we all knew... You know, we'd all heard in some way this story. He goes, you're all, he goes, I see you're all doing this. He says, because you've heard this story. And he says, where does it come from? And so someone says the Talmud. He says, exactly. That's where Nachman, right? Nachman would have encountered it in the Talmud. He says, but it's not from the Talmud. And so he says, do you know where it's from? None of us knew. And he says, it's from Plato. It's from Plato. And it's from Antiphon is how you say it in Hebrew and Danny, Danny didn't know how to say it in English, <laughs> but you know, I'm assuming it's antiphony um, or something like that. But antiphon is where um, Plato, there's, there's a machloket, there's an argument about do we ever really learn something new or are we rediscovering the truths that all of humanity have within them? So the Socratic method would be, right, Socrates would ask questions because what Socrates is doing is helping people discover the knowledge, the truth that lives within all of humanity if you can get them there. There you go, yes. Right, so to Michael's beautiful point, um, (laughs) are things really ever new? Do we ever really learn something or are we uncovering, going back to the treasure underneath the house? Are we really just uncovering what's already there, that is a real machloket. That is a real division in understanding about uh, pedagogy, about education, right? About about how one learns and therefore how one would teach. So the tzaddik in in our uh, in our parable in our piece here, the tzaddik is return. Like Mehmet said so beautifully, the, the tzaddik is is helping recover what's been lost. Exactly. The tzaddik isn't giving the person something new. Static is never bringing you something you didn't have. It's something you lost. But it's connected to you. When did you lose it? When you became a human being, right? And came out of the womb and and had to do this, right? Then that's (coughs) that's where stuff gets lost. The human condition is existentially that we've, we've lost something the minute we come into the world. What have we lost? In, in our story, me, me and Rita, and maybe some others of you, we got raised with, you've lost the knowledge of Torah. But what does Nachman bring as what we've lost when we come into the world that we had in the womb? Knowledge of our purpose. Not that we know everything we're supposed to about what it is we're here on this planet to do. That's what we have forgotten. And so uh, Dani says he has this beautiful experience every now and then of looking out at the Kehila, looking out at the congregation, and, and seeing a bunch of tzaddikim who are returning to each other 
I'm getting chill bumps, who are returning to each other what they've lost. And that that's our work, right? That's, that's what we do for each other, is we serve as the tzaddik. And he says, your rabbi might get up and, and she'll give a drasha. And then in that drasha, you hear one thing that's like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, the puzzle piece just fit into place. And then your rabbi's walking down the hall in the shul after, after services, and she encounters someone who she speaks with in the hallway who gives her something, right? Something she's lost, something that, that helps the puzzle pieces fit together for her. This, this is what we are here for. This is what we do. And so part of our work is to find the tzaddik. But who, who's, who's for us a tzaddik? So part of our responsibility is we have to go to the tzaddik, right? Judith Karen's on the screen. Bubby's on the screen, right? I got to Duluth, Minnesota. I had 32 years old. I had no idea how to be a rabbi. They don't teach you in rabbinical school how to be a rabbi. They teach you how to teach. They teach you Torah. They don't teach you how to be a rabbi. Who opens the mail? How do I know what's important mail? All this email? What the hell am I supposed to do with all of this? How do I make sense of my calendar? What's more important? Right? So... You have to go to the tzaddik. You have to go to the tzaddik, and the tzaddik will return to you, right, what you've lost. And we all lose, and we all can beat tzaddikim um, for each other. Rita? It kind of reminded me of the, the tale of the Lamed Vavniks, the 36 people who are going to save the world, but you never know who they are. So when you say find a tzaddik, we don't know who a tzaddik is. Every other human being that we encounter could be our tzaddik. That's exactly right. So again, returning to that story, you're just having a conversation with an officer, right? He he didn't know that that officer was going to have a dream that was going to be what helped him discover that treasure. We don't know who the tzaddik is, who's going to give us the next piece of the, and I don't want to lose the thread of what he, what Nachman starts with, to the next person who's going to give us the next piece of what's been lost about what our purpose is here. That, that's, that's the key. That's what we're all searching for. What is my purpose? In this case, the treasure isn't treasure, right? It, it, the treasure is the understanding, is the knowledge that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in this world. And that, that, that is where we find so much of our struggle. That's where we're lost so often, is what am I here to do? What's my purpose? What, what do I have that I, only I can contribute? And Donnie was also talking about learning in Haruta, that we learn like this together. We, we are not encouraged to take the Torah and go sit in a corner and read from cover to cover. We, that, that is not how Jews study. Jews study in relationship, right? Th- th- this, is the, this is how we study Torah, is that I trust that there's an interpretation of this text that you have that, that I've lost, right? And that you're going to help me recover. We, we help each other find even our own truths as expressed in Torah, in these stories in these texts we that's what we we hold that peace um for each other and in studying together we get to offer it and we don't know we don't know right now emmelinda's crying okay why is she crying i don't know we'll have to ask her but she's crying because some peace has been given to her that we could not have imagined she needed before this moment we could not have known and now 
We got another one crying. Okay, I'm losing them all. Why do we, Nellie's is crying. We, because it's a powerful thing. It is a powerful thing to confront eternal texts searching about meaning and truth and our relationship to the divine within ourselves and within other human beings to trust one another with our own interpretation as a gift because it might, it's going to help me share it, but more importantly, it's going to help someone who hears it and can receive it that's really none of my business. I have no idea, right? My job is to share. Your job is to share if you're willing, how you're willing, when you're willing, out of our own vulnerability of confessing our search, our confusion, our longing, sometimes our finding. Like when Mehmet described that beautiful moment during his Beitin, feeling like he'd been given back his Jewish soul. There's When we share that with one another, those are powerful things that have been return to us. And so just watching you all this morning, you are tzaddikim for each other, returning things that have been lost. This this is what Donnie was talking about, how beautiful that is. And when we get to sit in the presence of that, when we get to sit together like this and and share like this and and have these moments happen, it's it's, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And, And he also talked about um, you know, Imago Hendrix, the guy who wrote, you know, about you know, Imago, you know, this, this idea that, that people who are, we're often drawn to people who are very different from us, right? And they're holding a piece that, that we need, but, you know, so we're kind of drawn to people, but also can cause conflict because they're so different and they see the world so differently. Um, but I love that about this too, about Torah study, this idea of everyone being at Sadiq is you might see the world drastically different from me. And so normally something might not register, but in this conversation, partly because of how we trust one another, partly because of our intention, um, partly because it's Torah, <laughs> I don't know, but there's a way that we're able to receive even things that are so different from how we normally, right? How we normally think about things. All right. And Melinda, anything you want to say? We can totally leave you alone as well. You're all right. (laughs) It just triggered a thought. Um, Often people say uh, say they don't know why uh, so-and-so married so-and-so because that's uh, the second one, you know, is such a weird or something that everybody doesn't understand. And, um, And they wonder what their child, when they grow up, who, what are they going to marry? What? Not who? And um, I, I have observed, because I'm so wise and so old, um, that um, people m- marry what they need. And it's the words such as you're saying. Um, and you don't, nobody else knows. I mean, this isn't incredibly brilliant, but um, I, there are people who've asked me, you know, why did you, what, what are you doing with that person? That person gives me something. I need maybe from another life, but I need, and nobody knows. And so I don't know. That just tr- sort of triggered that thought. Mm-hmm. Right, looking from the outside, it's so hard to know. Yeah. Right, and we don't need to. It's none of our business, ultimately. Um, someone just asked something in the chat. What does it take for us to be prepared to receive? Bob, is that what you meant? What What do we have to do to be prepared to? That's true. Um, that's, that's what I meant, to, to be prepared 
to receive right. because right. it basically implies something on our part uh, that we may not, you know, we, we may not be mature enough to be able to do. Right. Or open enough or right. So we were, we were also talking um, about, we learned with Art Green yesterday, 82 rabbis learning uh, on zoom. It was amazing. 82 of us learning with um, Rabbi Art Green, who talked about the klipa. And when we talk about, um, mysticism, Jewish mysticism, we talk about the shell and that we're looking for the spark of the divine. We're trying to liberate the spark of the divine from what, you know, the physical material world. But he said klipa actually comes from being the shell of a walnut, the protection around a walnut. And then when the rabbis, you know, when you open a walnut, they saw something that looked a lot like a brain. And so, um, so the klipa, they, they designed this word klipa, the mystics designed this word from the shell of a walnut. And what he was saying is rather than see it as, you know, the shell, the, the blockage, it's the, it's the defenses. It's our defenses. And so to Bob, to your point, um, we, we have to be ready to be vulnerable enough and to let down, I just spilled my coffee, everyone, um, and to let down our defenses enough to, to receive. Right, it can't it can't permeate it can't permeate the shell, and I think Bob, that's a really important point, particularly in our culture. You know, we're always supposed to have it together. We're always supposed to know what's going on. We're always supposed to have it figured out. We're always supposed to be so independent and self reliant and successful. And it's hard to say I have no clue right now, right? And and to to do the work of moving. Thank you moving past our own defenses and, 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 and we shouldn't do it everywhere. It's not that we should do it everywhere, but like Bob said, you know, are, are we doing the work that prepares us to receive from other tzaddikim? Because that's a, sometimes that's a lot of work that we have to do to, to prepare the ground for something, you know, to go in. Um, Judah? I studied Kabbalah. And that's one of the, um, the concepts that um, they go through very, very carefully and in depth is um, in order to be able to receive, you have to know how to ask. And to ask means you have to have the right reason and, and it's for a purpose. And Kabbalah teaches that the reason why we ask or receive anything is to let more of the light into the world or into the universe. But the, the whole basis and the premise is when you ask, you have to be able to ask and not from a standpoint of setting up preconditions. You know, like if you ask for something, so I want this, but it has to be yellow and it has to be, you know, this long and that high. You basically have to say to the creator, which is how Kabbalah puts it, you have to say, um, this is my desire and I'm going to let you fulfill it in the way that you want me to have it. And then that is how you, you end up receiving. And then the other thing that you have to be able to accept is the answer. And, you know, sometimes people say God doesn't answer your prayers. Well, um, there, I, I read a story not too long ago about uh, a mother asking for help so that her son would not die. And uh, the son did die. And then someone said, well, obviously God did not answer your prayer. And the response was, yes, he did. He said no. So right, we, you all know how I feel about that theology, um, right? Doesn't work for me. Um, but, the, you know, it's not the point. The point is, what are you asking for? You have no business asking that the child live. 
and expect that the answer is going to be anything other than it's going to be what it's going to be. Right? The question is, how can I help? What can I do? What's the next doctor? What's the next treatment? Who needs to be at the bedside? Right? What, what does the child need next? Right? It can, you know, we're allowed to want the child to live all we want, but, but my theology doesn't allow for a God who says no. Um, Mark? You know, one of the things that struck, struck me, I'm, I'm still thinking, actually, about the story of, of the dream, uh, Rebbe Nachman's uh, story. And I think that what Michael was saying in passing, uh, his uh, sort of uh, incipient concern that the officer would try to steal the treasure, I think that that's a, to me that's a very, very important part of this and an important part of the project of Deuteronomy because there is a, a great difficulty, uh, a, a difficulty that uh, manifests as fear of being open to the other and not regarding the other as the stranger, as, uh, as uh, someone who is uh, to be guarded against and not invited in. And I think it's interesting also that it's not just a stranger, is it? It's an officer. Yes. It's someone who has the power and the access to authority to do something to you that could be seriously damaging. Right. It's even scarier than a stranger, right? It's, it's for the Jew, it's an officer. You know, right. <laughs> ask a Jew writing at this time, you know, who are you most afraid of? It's, it's the officer. Um, and so, so I think you're right that Nachman sets it up so that you are, you are afraid for the guy. You're afraid for the Jew talking to the officer, right? Because Nachman would have been telling these stories to Jews who would have been afraid of anybody in uniform. Right. And there's, there's a, a, a whole tradition in uh, poetry as well of uh, dealing with this uh, openness and the forgetting uh, and the need to search within for what has uh, the treasure within that is forgotten, that is unavailable within, and the, the delusional notion that one can find it outside of oneself or outside of the community. And, uh, the, and that we need a tzaddik, right? Right. The people come to you to recover, right? That insight, that knowledge, whatever. You as the therapist, you as the psychoanalyst, help return that person's awareness of whatever or a new insight, right, that, that was in there but isn't unlocked until we go and we have to live vacation. We have to request. Right. Like, we have, or whoever just said it, we have to ask, right? And, 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 that, and sometimes that's the hardest part is being ready to ask, um, and like Judith said, you know, sometimes we don't like the answer. Like, you know, I don't always love what I find when I get quiet in meditation and ask a question, right? Um, it's about it's about developing, you know, meditation for us. Mindfulness practice is about developing the strength and the courage to know we can handle whatever the answer is, mm. right? That we, right. whatever it is, we which, recover. Right, which is uh, in if, uh, just to speak of, of uh, a psychotherapy or analysis for a moment, all, it's always the case that the hardest part of any therapy is allowing oneself to know what one knows. Isn't that scary? 
yeah. allowing ourselves to know what we know. All right, Margo. Um, I'm just sitting here and thinking and loving what I'm hearing. And that I'm all, I've been a, a quiet listener and I'm so appreciative of all those, all the sadiqs in this room uh, and everywhere. And I just, uh, I've just gotten so much out of this um, today in terms of, uh, of learning and so forth. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Margo. That lands in a really tender, beautiful place. Jody? You know, I too am taken with this story. I just can't get past that story, although I've enjoyed all the conversation since. Um, and whatever it was that Mark said, the most difficult thing is to know what we know or getting someone to know what they know. You know, and this is just my own personal belief that I believe everybody is placed in your life to teach you something about yourself. And that's my job, our job to go, what do I need to learn about myself here? And that story, it was really about, in my mind, it was about that. I mean, he approached the officer, it wasn't so much listening. It's what do I need to learn about myself? It's all within, it's all at home. So I just uh, have really loved today. <laughs> so I'm going to say. Well, thank you all for your trust. Um, we went far afield um, from Deuteronomy. I've been very much in Deuteronomy, and we went very far afield today into Hasidut and into um, some lovely uh, other kinds of teaching. I so appreciate your trust. Um, I loved this. I'm, and actually, Donnie taught me this uh, as part of Hartman. He taught us this as part of Hartman. And I made a copy of it. And I made notes on the side for all y'all. And I was going to bring it. And we were going to look at it. And then some, life happened. And I never got to it. And he taught it again recently in L.A. for the Board of Rabbis. And so I said, okay, this is obvious that it's meant that I bring this to my people. And I looked at the Parsha and went, Hashibat. Aveda, like the returning of lost stuff. It's Donnie's eagle. So, um, so thank you again for your trust and your attention and your open hearts and um, your bravery and your courage uh, in allowing things to come up and allowing things to be there and allowing um, things to move you. It's an incredibly precious um, thing that we create here together. Um, and I so look forward to every Friday. Someone was saying, you know, you're getting nuts, Rabbi, and the holidays are coming. You really should let someone else teach Torah study. I was like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> as, if, as if that's going to happen. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.